Hey everybody, sorry I'm late. I am a struggling stand-up comedian who's got a sleepwalking problem, and so I'm going to start talking about my sleepwalking problems, and it turns out that's going to make me a successful stand-up comedian. You're listening to This Film Was Not Yet Created, the podcast where we make our own versions of movie sequels that never got made. I'm your host, Christopher Rivas, and with me as always is my co-host, Mr. Steve Grande. Hi, sorry I'm late, but me and my um, business partner decided that we could make more money with a flop than a hit on Broadway. <laughs> Yep. That's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> uh, this week, we have a very special guest. Uh, you've heard his work behind the scenes. He edits our uh, our podcasts down so that you can listen to them in a uh, effective and beautiful manner. Uh, you've heard him on the Avengers episode, and he's also just a funny dude in general. He's getting into voice work, so check out his demo reel. Hire him to voice the characters. <laughs> Please welcome Mr. Josh Wilson. Hey, um, sorry I'm late. Uh, I had to attend the uh, a funeral. It wasn't so. My <laughs> my friend, who is of course uh, played Gwen Stacy in the Spider-Man Avengers movies, uh-huh. um, uh, her father, who was a famous actor, you know, he played the character Birdman. I don't know if you know about this. <laughs> yeah. Um. He really wanted to do a really be taken seriously, and I I think it just got to him. I thought he he started talking about killing people with his mind, and uh-huh. he flew through Broadway. Either way, it and it was all done in one take, which is amazing. They actually <laughs> compiled his life together like that. And I, <laughs> so anyways, I'm sorry, I'm like, <laughs> oh man, do you guys hear all, drums? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it told us about the unexplained virtue of ignorance. Uh, yes <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned his life was shot in one take because i feel like my life is shot in one take i don't think anyone's shot in two uh, takes well i don't know there's there's a lot of hidden cuts i don't know what happens uh, when i go to sleep imagine uh, like you're about to die and then you just hear like cut <laughs> you're like, let's try this again oh wow <laughs> that's a mind fog. oh my god yeah if you're high listening to that, oh, your, your world just got shattered. Uh, <laughs> what would you do if you, <laughs> if on your deathbed you heard cut? Let's roll. Let's try it again. No, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Let's, can you give us more energy this yeah. time? <laughs> what, what, what's even more terrifying is if you're on your deathbed and like your granddaughter, your five year old little granddaughter comes over and she's like, "Cut!" and it's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke from 40 years ago. <laughs> oh, Josh, I'm so glad you're here with us. Yeah. Uh, we have you uh, sort of on the podcast every week. You're you're editing it together, putting in music, doing your thing. But now we actually get to like hang out with you again and talk to you. And uh, it's so nice. Um, and of course, we're here. We're talking Don't Think Twice. Oh. The... Uh, Basically, the only movie that's about improv, as far as I know. Twenty sixteen. Melissa McCarthy's are movies are like movies with a bunch of improv, but they're never about improv. You right. Know? Right. Uh, so tell us a little bit of why you wanted to do "Don't Think Twice." Well, like, okay. Um, I remember before I came to Columbia College, Chicago, I was um, 
I, I watched this movie. It was like one of those times where they were like certified 90% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, but it was before like everyone had watched it. And like nowadays I saw it, it's like a six. Point five percent. It's like it went down. Come down to earth. It aged like fine milk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> um, but I remember watching it, and I was like, "Man, this is it's amazing. This is what improv's like." And I went to my teacher in the theater, and I was like, uh, "My theater teacher." And he was like, "Um, I was like, man, this made me really want to start a improv show, and I really, uh, I want to be in an improv team." And he just responds like, "Chicago." has too many improv teams already please stop yeah and nowadays when we're looking at things like io's down second city's going through this massive upheaval and change annoyance is you know being annoyance and like it made me think like damn let's look back at this like weird time capsule of the imagined perception of what improv is to people yeah it, it's interesting that you say that because, uh, you know, we didn't talk. We just said, what do you want to do? And you said, don't think twice. And that, that's where we left it, right? Yeah. And so Steve and I watched it and had all these feelings afterwards. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we're like, this movie, like you said, has aged like a fine milk. It, <laughs> it, it has a totally different meaning now than five years ago when it came out. And... We were, and at least from my perspective, I don't want to speak for Steve, but it's like um, I'm older as an improviser. I guess everybody's older uh, than they were five years ago. But uh, (laughs) everybody's five years older after this pandemic, (laughs) right? Right. Coming Um, out like with the sun and uh, um, you know, this movie takes on a different meaning Mm -hmm. than it did back then, and especially yeah, going through the pandemic, it has a different lens with these buildings closing and, and the changing of those institutions and that kind of thing. And we were curious, we were like, well, we both didn't really care for this movie actually, when we thought we were going to. And we were like, the wild card's going to be Josh. Cause how's Josh going to, does Josh love this movie or does he also <laughs> think it was kind of bad now? <laughs> yeah, we were, we were, we were banking on being like, Oh, since he's younger, he'll probably relate to the one side of it instead of our side of it. You know, well, when I, I had to start this movie over like three times because uh, <laughs> like the beginning, the beginning couple of minutes where they're like, here's the rules of improv. And they're all like doing that weird, like choreographed, not really choreographed improv sec- se- section. I was like, this feels so like cheesy and so super romantic in a way that it makes me like, like I wish I had had that at the time and it sort of like made me like cringe and also angry yeah. <laughs> in the way that it's like the way that improv is and like how comedy schools are presented in a way where, and like the weird parts of this movie where it's like improv becomes like super therapy that you just put on for uh-huh. people and I was like, the Jim Corain method. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I don't like this improv because yeah. it's like it got too personal. Um, the way that they sort of write this sort of feeling of comedy and working in comedy is like this upward slope, and then you get like then you work very hard, and then you get to go to late night live, and then this is what it's like. Yeah, and I'm like, this feels so like like 
weirdly prop not propagandistic but like very much um it's it's, it's a cult you're drinking the kool-aid and you're buying in and that's the that's <clears throat> what they sell you that's what they've been selling us for years even without knowing it is that concept that oh yeah you take all the classes at all the places and then once you take the classes then you're good enough and then you you know get Amber. discovered and you <laughs> go and make your break and mm-hmm. um yeah, I don't. It's interesting that you mentioned the the uh, beginning of this movie because uh, I thought like I have a lot of problems with this movie, but one <laughs> of the things that I think works really well is the introduction. I yeah. think the uh, the hokiness of here's how improv works because clearly this movie wasn't made for a regular audience. This movie was made for improv and comedy people, like how that- Birdman was made for. <clears throat> People who don't understand how theater works. Right. And drummers. And drummers. And drummers. <laughs> but I, thought, I thought they did a good job of getting you on board right away of like, okay, I understand what the the like job that they all do is. Because mm-hmm. the movie isn't about improv, really. It's about their interpersonal relationships with within that framework. Yeah. Um, but what I think they failed to... Or like, so right off the bat, I didn't like any of the characters because the first thing we see is them at the bar being assholes and jumping on tables and (laughs) breaking things. And I'm like, these people are the worst. I hate all of them. And then realizing, shit, I've been these people. I know these people. I hate all improvisers. What the hell am I doing watching (laughs) this movie? I need to be better. We all need to be better. Come on. Um, But then like, you know, they, they, they do their improv set and. I've mentioned this to Steve after we had seen the movie, the the thought that like in the movie, the the basic concept is that one of them gets their break and everyone else is so self-centered and petty and jealous that it tears them and their relationships apart. Ruins them apart, like from like a structural level. It's like, yeah. And in the real world, having lived made my living as an improviser working with people very closely. Uh, If you're in a tight knit group that you're one of the most popular things to go see in New York city on a Friday, Saturday night, and one of you gets their break, that's not going to tear my group apart. Maybe one or two people are going to be, you know, jealous and Mm -hmm. petty, but the most part, everyone's going to, champion that person and want to celebrate them and want to support them because they know that that person's win down the line is going to be their win as well. And you want to work with people, you know, people you like. So why would you tear down somebody who got an opportunity? It just doesn't make any sense. It's because this is a Fox searchlight kind of movies or whatever features. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, I was trying. I've been trying to stay quiet because I know once I get, I have a lot of feelings about this movie, and I'm just <laughs> no, gonna no, keep I'm going. Um, but yo, uh, everybody was painted with a broad brush of yeah. this is the stereotype, mm-hmm. you know, of the kind of improviser you are. And yeah, it's true. There are some people that are like that, but yo, not to that extent. So, like, people mm-hmm. listening at home that don't know anything about improv and watch this movie, like, first off, that that first scene, like. 
Josh, you felt like that went on too long or it was like too like romantic of improv but yeah. while it was trying to explain the game. Like, yo, that's for people that don't know this this kind yeah. of thing and had to spell it out. And like, so for me, I was kind of like, oh, okay, I forgive that. But yeah. then the first scene in where they were like, weekend live people are in the audience, like Mike Birbiglia straight up turns to him and he's like, hey, don't do any of your shit. And then somebody else like joins in and like, I remember the first time I saw the, this movie, I was like, okay, this is a little much, but like, I'll buy it. Uh, it's fine. But then like this time I'm like, no, this is crossing a line. And like, mm-hmm. yo, when Mike Birbiglio went into that after party and said, and like punched him <laughs> and like caused the scene. Yo, like uh, p- people who don't know anything about improv, if you were to do that in a room full of people from SNL, who people who have been through all of this stuff before, and like honestly, there's not a lot of stock in being like, I created this improv character and therefore it is mine, you would get laughed out yeah. of the room. Yeah. You, like, it is ridiculous. Like, no, no improviser does that and also to that extent. That's also, I think, another flaw of the series, among many of it, um, is the way that they don't really humanize a lot of the people in the late night live group. They're kind of like this corporate homogenized. Yeah, you don't really see them. No, yeah. Get to know them. Yeah, you don't know any of them. You don't know like how it works. We we get like Key Keegan Michael Key like, oh, it's so tiring. I'm working every fucking day. Like that's probably true. You're probably tired. Well, that I appreciated that about it. Like, like yeah, the movie's not about them, so we don't yeah. need to know them and get to know who they are, or whatever else. That's not important for this story. Um, but I did appreciate that. I thought they did a good job of showing what that process looks like. Yeah, where. You get a big audition and it's nerve wracking because it's a huge deal. The stakes are super high. You go into audition and there's three people sitting there that don't laugh at anything. Right. And uh, and then you just show up for work and it's high stress because every day might be your last, especially right. on your first year. Right. And uh, and you and it is a job. You're not just yeah. showing up at the club on Friday night and doing your set, you're working every single day and you're writing and you're rehearsing and you're, you're trying to create an entire hour long show in one week. Yeah. It's like, um, it makes, it reminds me of, um, when I was doing my final semester at second city, um, the final two weeks of putting together like that one hour show, that Mm. one hour comedy review was like the most like, frustrate like not frustrating but the most exhausting time i had mm-hmm. ever felt doing anything in theater because you're writing you're directing other people you're trying to not like be the mom of the room or whatever but you're trying to assess how everyone's feeling at every given moment because you don't want them to break you're trying to elevate everyone so in that way yeah it's tiring i just i honestly felt like they should have had a little bit more of like the late night live crew feel and appeal, you know? Well, and I, I guess my counter argument there is that, uh, the reason you're feeling that way is because they didn't give us enough about who the, we're supposed to be following in the first place. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> the characters we're supposed to be following and, and caring about. We don't, uh, either because we don't know enough about them or because they don't 
they, they don't matter. Like, I, it, it's frustrating to look at, like, the main characters are clearly Keegan-Michael Key and uh, Mike Birbiglia and Jillian Jacobs. Mm-hmm. And everyone else, even though, even though it's a team, it's an ensemble, everyone else doesn't matter. Everyone else is one-dimensional, two-dimensional. You know, we didn't know that Kate Micucci drew doodles and was working on a graphic novel and that that was like a defining characteristic for her until the end when they call it out and are like, you're a shitty person because you haven't done your defining characteristic. Mm-hmm. I I uh, I also feel like Chris Gethard's character was only in there to uh, d- to show the big emotional like we're a group and we we stay together and yeah we'll go help move your dad out of this house or whatever you yeah. know scene um, and that was by that was my favorite part of the movie is like them being actual people and right. like being go, friends yeah and doing something to help out somebody mm-hmm. um rather than like exposit it in a bar all drunk and shit like yeah. when she climbed on that table like you said earlier chris it's like man we're not that bad we've never been that bad at the ale house and then somebody did something else and i'm like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah we did it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there are people that exist like that but it's kind of like that weird voyeuristic thing of like, I have not done a lot of improv in my life. So it's one of the like liminal spaces of like, I want, I understand like bits of this, but I'm also kind of weirdly looking like at both sides of this thing. Like I'm both an audience member and trying to get into the mind of these, these characters that are painted again with broad strokes. So it feels Mm -hmm. like I'm looking at aliens (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I I just I think my for me my main thing is that the characters were so underdeveloped and the 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 big thing um is that I think so the the the, the two big cornerstones I think of this story or what they're trying to get across is uh a the the like surface level one person in the group breaks and everybody else is petty and jealous and how does that handle how does that affect their relationships right Mm -hmm. um and then the other thing is they all for the most are like coming to terms with the fact that this thing is ending right but the thing is it's not ending because they're ready for it to end and they're coming to these terms it's ending because of something they have no control over their space. They're like, Oh, the, the landlord is uh, tearing down the building and we're all, we're closing the theater. Everybody's at, you know, this is no longer a thing. Yeah. And because of that, they're struggling with their, in a sense, mortality within that industry or within that, that art form. Right. And like, okay, sure. But like, I think it's a stronger choice if they come to that, realization if they come to that struggle of their own accord yeah like trying to get gigs elsewhere and like like, i mean they they kind of did that with that (laughs) that nightclub and i like being being in that position before um trying to produce shows i was like oh my god no don't do that four grand are you (laughs) kidding me i wouldn't have even considered it like i know that no improv show was gonna make four grand Mm -hmm. and then we're gonna talk about a profit absolutely not like (laughs) 
<laughs> so, um, and yeah, uh, outside of this group and maybe the group of students that uh, Jillian yeah, yeah. Jacobs teaches, there is, there is no signs of other improv groups <laughs> yeah, at all <laughs> or other theaters in New York City. No UCB we, reference, no pit, no. We got the sense no. that the one lady was supposed to be Sharna, I think. Mm-hmm. But like, it also seemed like they owned the theater because they were the ones cleaning it out. Yeah. When if they were just a house team, they would not be doing that. No, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> See, this is this is why I found it interesting because I don't know much about like improv life other than mm-hmm. interning at the Annoyance. But like, that's just some stuff I don't think about, or like I haven't really gotten to know. And that's why and, this is interesting, yeah, yeah, to hear your take on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but keep going. So like, like that, and then like all that sort of thing where it's like that that one there's like that one scene i think that was in the movie i might have hallucinated it but like the where they're doing the improv teaching scene and the kids like trying to steal the scene and he's like i'm trying to be on late night live and i'm yeah. like i know that asshole oh yeah <laughs> like there are people out there that just think improv is this bridge to like late night live and i wish that there was like i wish that there was more like Again, that's why everything's painted with broad strokes and feels like aliens, because there's not there's so many things that Mike Birbigley, I think, wanted to do in this movie and that the ensemble just can't keep up with because they don't have a lot of nuance. So there's not a lot of like they just keep throwing shit. And I'm like, I don't. okay. so the main plot is Keegan-Michael Key gets this thing. But then there's all this also other stuff that I really want to delve into. But they also don't feel like they really want to. Spread out like, yeah. I mean, it's written me, with like a shotgun. Like the plot points are just shotguns. Well, that's exactly what it is, right? So this is. It feels like Steve mentioned earlier. Focus features, indie film, generic, you know, beats that is targeted specifically at improv comedy audience people, right? Uh, and Berbiglia, I think you know. I'll, I'm going to try and give him the credit here, give him the benefit of the doubt that he's thinking. It's a movie about improv. We should improvise more. So I feel, I don't know for certain, but I feel like he had the movie beat it out and then just right. let everybody improvise all the scenes. Right. And I and I think that's to the detriment of the story they're trying to tell. Let, let's also just be honest, too. These are funny people trying to do drama. Yes, yeah. it's something that's relatable to their life experience, but... You know, <laughs> it's a, it's a very not everybody can make the transition. No, yeah. no. And I yeah. really, I was really rooting for Keegan Michael Key because he's the crux of this whole thing. He becomes the protagonist at a certain point. He, yeah, he gets. He, he, but at the same time, it's like I really wish that I don't know something, something gripped. Also, it sucks because it's like that, and then like the ticket taker character. I don't find funny. No, no, none. So the thing is, I that was all improvised. Yeah. All the bits mm-hmm. that were on that they showed on the week on the SNL thing were all improvised for real, and then taken like, okay, that's the bit we're going to use. Let's actually <laughs> put that into the script and yeah. film it and whatever else. So that's why it's not funny. Yeah. Uh, so I also, never found any investment in that character. Yeah, yeah. In the sense that that is what got you to late night it, live. It could also be a commentary on the type of content that True. makes it and mm-hmm. the the type True. of you know, pieces that people use as auditions and whatever else. It could be a commentary on all that, which totally works and makes sense. Um, 
I don't know. We're going to spend forever breaking this movie down. <laughs> this uh, is not even, we're not even, I, I, I didn't even bring yeah. a script. Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, um, I will say in terms of Keegan-Michael Key being the main character or like coming out as, oh, now he's the protagonist, right? At that point, uh, you're thinking, I was thinking, he didn't do anything wrong. He's doing the best he can. He's doing the best he can mm-hmm. by his friends. He's giving his, their scripts over to people, even though it's not in his best interest. He's he's doing these kinds of things because he feels like he owes it to them. And and they still treat him like shit. And then at the end, we're still supposed to feel happy that they all love each other. Get the fuck out of here. Well, the, the only the only time I was against Keegan Michael Key, and also I want to say like as as much as I did think their their drama work, you know, panned out in this movie. Uh, these are all still brilliant comedians, no. yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and like, uh, I was only against him in the moment where they said that Chris Gethard's dad died, and then he was like, "Well, we got auditions for Weekend Live." Like, <laughs> yo, bro, I know, I know how exciting that is, and you would scream it to the world, but like, that was not the moment. You could have waited, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, until the next day at least. Yeah, but you know it's ninety minutes. They got they got they got some shit to push out. <laughs> I know. I just thought that was a really big dick move. There's no know? time. We it already was. spent five yeah. weeks improvising everything else. We need right. To oh, and and we're gonna have an eight month time jump for at the end of Nothing the movie. Nothing happened in those eight months. They all just kind well. Of apparently, became... they became friends again. The last yeah. time we saw uh, them, they were they were enemies who would abandon each other on stage after years <coughs> of supporting each other and saying i've got your back they would just they went through such a hard breakup as a group that they would abandon the show and they're mm-hmm. and leave one person to go do the show by themselves and then yeah. cut to eight months later and they're friends and they love each other again like that uh, is, that is no. the most scummiest thing <laughs> like you abandoned leaving one person to just do the show and that's mm. That's like the most terrifying thing for any actor, improv or not, is to have like everyone just a bit like you'd never be friends with them again, except for yeah. eight months later. Much eight which months later, like, a family member dies. They got to go to the funeral. So no, then they love you again. Yeah. I, as I was watching, I was like, not my friends. They wouldn't do that. Yeah. I wouldn't would do that to them again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I may I may be fighting with my friend, but I'll I'll still go do the show because I had already committed to it. Yeah, and isn't it the last <laughs> show? Like, yeah, it's like the last show ever the, for them. Are you kidding me? Absolutely, no way, no way. Yeah, yeah. If, hey, if, if you had that tight relationship, you'd show up and be like, yeah, yeah. Bygones be bygones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll do the show and then we'll we'll call yeah. It quits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, we can we can keep tearing this movie apart for another six hours. Uh, Steve, I think we should get into our pitches for the sequel to Don't yep. Think Twice. Is so, it called Don't Think Thrice? No, it's called Please Think Twice. <laughs> oh, OK, <laughs> please. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, based off of everything that we just talked about, like this, um this this felt a little personal for me. So I kind of imagine myself and like, you know, I'm I'm past the age of people that usually get on SNL. And I know that that's not, you know, that dream might not happen, probably won't happen. Um, and I, I just watch that whole movie thinking about like, yo, like, how would I feel if if this was the situation at the same time of also kind of making fun of this movie for for making us look bad? Um 
so uh yeah this is just it turned into more like a second city kind of uh emotional scene towards the end okay um and also i want to say like yo josh i want to thank you for picking this movie because i think it's it's a really important thing and we talked a little bit about it last week but like the like with everything reopening after the pandemic Improv in this city and probably improv everywhere in America, maybe even the world, is going to be different. And, like, fact is, like, right now for people who don't know, Second City is opening up again. And uh, they they ended up firing a lot of their staff and people that work there because it's new ownership. And uh, I bring this up because they're starting shows next week for a fucking ridiculous amount of money um, per ticket. Like 50 uh, bucks a ticket. At, yeah, the, oh at least I, I saw I saw one hundred dollar tickets. Like, yeah, those are the, those are like the nice seats that are up close, I guess. The, the cheap care. seats that are in the back are like. Thirty to fifty dollars, which also, is an insane amount. They're also not doing reviews, so it's just an hour long of improv and maybe some old sketches. I don't know. That is, but like terrifying. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the thing is, is that because I read some Chris Jones articles in the Tribune, like uh, they are not communicating with any of the press, like telling them even what their show is going to be like. But they are. That's using, a good sign. That's always a good sign. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, but they are using the same kind of advertisement the same kind of shtick to like if you look at their facebook or their instagram or whatever nothing looks different than it did two years ago um so i kind of feel like they're do you know they're trying to take advantage of people that want to go see a show and will pay good money to go see a show and they're thinking they're going to see a second city chicago level styled show and it's going to be different and like I, I can see coming down the pike. That's gonna that's gonna hurt an already the fragile art form, you know, in, yeah. as, in this ecosystem. Yeah. And that is the most terrifying thing. Like, imagine, like, because they know there are people out there. They just want to fucking see improv. They just want to check out for a while. They want to see like the sh- second city come back, and then they're gonna come back. And I hope it's good. I don't wish. I don't wish death upon my enemies. I don't wish a bad future for any person. Yeah. And I know that there are people who are actors in there that I, that are really cool people. I don't know them, but I'm pretty sure that they're awesome. I'm pretty sure that they worked their <laughs> ass off to get to this point. Uh-huh. They're going to have people like us talk about this and how fucking crazy it is. And I hope that they do well. I hope they blow it out of the park, but it's certainly a fucking weird decisions on top of weird decisions. It, it doesn't seem like they're being... Uh, uh, put in the best position to succeed. I, I I just wanted to say, like, uh, you know, I, a lot of people, a lot of improvisers have moved out of Chicago and other cities because they're, you know, thrown into it. white. Yeah. They can't afford it. Can't, you know, just don't want to hang around to, to see what happens. Like, the reason why I'm still here personally is because I want to be a part of the revolution. And now oh, that I yes. see and now that I see that this theater, this big time theater is changing their ways and like things are going to be different. Like they're not going to teach the same way that they used to. But you know who who will? The people that went through those classes and like lived through this scene for, you know, five to ten plus however many years. So I'm excited for like the underground rebirth of improv, hopefully, this, <laughs> you know, within the people. To, this is also going to start our improv show that we're doing uh, four months from now called The Revolution Will Be Improvised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. My God. Yeah, All right. that, that's already on the books. It's <laughs> it's going up at I.O. <laughs> no, no, no. 
Um, okay, sorry. All right, enough, enough, enough daydreaming. Um, here we go. Uh, uh, this is um, so. This is called uh, "Please Think Twice." Um, it's two scenes. Um, Chris, uh, this is this is a little weird because okay, I'll just say it. Um, we I named them after our joke names that we use to give the call signals, the the, the letters for when we play Among Us. Um, it's it's a re- it's a really stupid bit, but uh, you'll hear it. So Chris, you will be Fancy, and you will also be Nancy, okay. and then Josh, you will be Wancy, and I will be the other characters. All right, All right so here we go. Interior, dive bar, Bryson's, night. A group of improvisers sit around the table after their show. The group consists of Nancy, Jancy, Bansy, and Gancy. <laughs> they are dissecting their performance while finishing a picture of Schlitz. In walks Wancy, another member of the group. Uh, he had missed the show because he had a big audition for Weekend Live. He quickly walks through the bar and towards the table. Hey, man, how'd it go? Yeah, tell us all about it. I think it went pretty well. <laughs> they seem to uh, have liked my characters. Most of the time, they just stared ahead, expressionless. But I got one of the audition auditors to uh, chuckle a bit. I did my characters. I was in there for like a total of like eight minutes. They didn't really ask any questions. And then I uh, left. It was pretty cool walking out because they had like a wall full of each cast photo from every season. It wasn't like a half hour after that until I got the call. Everyone is hooked on Wancy's words. He smiles and says, I, I got it. The group is motionless like they are and don't think twice as this information, <laughs> as they take in this information. Uh, Wancy starts to feel anxious by the group's reaction until Nancy says, Oh my God, holy fucking shit. You did it, man. Congratulations. Everyone in the group explodes out of their seats and goes over to Wancy. They give him a big hug, a big obnoxious improviser hug. (laughs) It is the worst, people. Uh, Every patron in the bar takes notice, because how couldn't you? Uh, They calm down and then take their seats. Wow. You guys, I I can't tell you how much that means to me. Thanks. Thank you, guys. You actually had me nervous, though. You didn't move a muscle after I broke the news. Yeah, man, because we were in shock. Uh, I don't know why we were. We've been talking about it all night. We know you pretty well, but you've upped your poker face. You slow played us, you, and you know it, you son of a bitch. Gancy gives Wancy a playful noogie. <laughs> he pushes him away after a few seconds and says, Oh, hey, man, watch the hair. Hair's gonna be on TV in like 30 days. Look, I'm just relieved. I was really nervous about telling you guys, and then you all just froze up. I, I thought you were you were jealous or something. Nah, man, we're just jealous. We're happy for you. This is huge. We're so damn proud of you, but I'll be even more proud of you if you don't pass out before midnight, because tonight we are going to do some shots. Jancy gets up and it goes to get a round of shots. The scene continues and they shift gears towards how the show went. Um, Fade out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Exterior, rooftop, night. So this is... After this is in place of the Mike Birbiglia coming in after the 
you know, and, and causing the scene. Um, so this is like the after party, but they're, you know, um, they're in a secluded part. Like he went to go out for a smoke on the roof. Okay. All right. Wancy goes out onto the rooftop on the building, uh, where weekend, where the weekend live after party is. He walks out and sees Gancy smoking a J. Uh, Hey man, uh, can I get a hit? Sure. But, uh, watch out. Wiz Khalifa's DJ gave gave it to me. Uh, Jancy had some, and now she's been hugging the table for an hour now. <coughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. You weren't joking. <laughs> <laughs> Told you. You know, you're going to have to build your tolerance if you're going to be partying with movie stars and rappers every week. Yeah, I know. I haven't smoked all day, too. Wow. Look at you taking this seriously. <laughs> you surprised? Nah, man, I'm I'm proud. Thanks, man. And and hey, I wanted to say I'm sorry I didn't give you a heads up that I turned our gorillas working a banana stand scene from that show we did. <laughs> I didn't mean I meant to, I meant to text you, but I got so distracted from pitch meetings and rehearsals all day. I I completely spaced. Dude, do you think I'm bad or something because you based a sketch off of a show we did a couple weeks ago? That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I don't, I don't know. I, I could see somehow we could, might, you might get angry about it. I mean, why is that so ridiculous? Because every improviser knows that great sketches sometimes come from scenes that they've improvised. And it's something we did on stage together. It's yours as much as it is mine. And if you get lucky enough to get one of your sketches on the show and it gets to be a character that I helped create, it's, it's amazing. Okay, good. Just, um, just didn't think I was uh, pulling a mencia on you. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't because you're also doing God's work. You're using your platform to bring awareness to the strife that gorillas face when entering the workforce every single day. <laughs> You're truly making a difference in this world. I'm just going to single-handedly change the world one day at a time. <laughs> Actually, um, <laughs> there is something I wanted to say to you. Okay. That night at the bar that you, you told us you got the show... We all said we weren't jealous, but uh, I gotta admit, I I was a little. Oh. Well, I uh, uh, you you don't gotta say anything. This this one's on me. I'm I'm sorry if I might have been cold or distant. I've thought about it a lot over the past weeks. Uh, the conclusion that I came to is that it's okay to feel jealous sometimes. Did you feel that way tonight? At the beginning. When I say that it's okay to be jealous a little, it's because I realize that it's a normal reaction when someone close to you gets a job that you've dreamt of having your entire life. It's truly a human reaction, but when it, it becomes a problem is when one starts acting on it, in which I am totally guilty of and sorry for, especially on your big night. When this show started, uh, and then you popped on screen, and all I can think of is that my friend is a fucking cast member of Weekend Live. I realize that there are only 13 people in this world that get to be on this cast. That's way less of a success rate than any pro athlete trying to make a team. And you're one of them. One of the villagers is a cast member of Weekend Live. And I, I truly couldn't be happier. 
I appreciate that, man. I know it can be a little weird for you since, you know, you used to be my teacher. Steve Carell ca- taught Chris Farley at Second City. You don't hear him bragging about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they share a soft <laughs> chuckle. They look at each other and brace with a hug. They start to head back inside. You know, if you didn't get all sappy like a Hallmark Christmas movie, we might have made it to Bryson's for our last call. I thought all big TV stars had access to a police motorcade from the city. You think he could hit up the mayor this time of night? Maybe we'd just go get a bite instead. I would, but I just don't have much of an appetite. <laughs> <laughs> they laugh as they open the door back into the party. Fade to black. The end. Yeah. yeah. Now that's how that scene should have gone. <laughs> that's how the movie should have gone. That's exactly, yeah, that was... Very heartfelt. Let me correct that. That's what that felt like. That was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I straight up Michael Jordan in the last ads. I, and I took that personally. Yeah. <laughs> and I took that personally. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was, uh, that was really nice. That was, and uh, it was, it was like such a different tone. I don't know. I'm so used oh, to yeah. like, Oh yeah. It's just being all bits. So that was, it was nice to have something, a little bit more dramatic, you know? Fit the yeah. Color. I mean, yeah. obviously, I was starting off that way by calling them Wancy right. and Yeah. Gancy and Nancy Wancy. I, I did that because I'm like, these names don't matter. Who cares about these names? Truly. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah, man. I just, I'm glad you guys, you guys enjoyed it. Um, it was, it was definitely nice to write something that isn't uh, stupid and bitty all the, t- mm-hmm. all the time, even yeah. though obviously this had bits in it. Um, you know, and uh, I, I think what I liked is like I didn't, I didn't feel like I had to force this. You know, like it, it just naturally came, <laughs> like yeah. that emotional factor. I didn't have to manufacture it. No, yeah, came from the heart, like improv. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, speaking of improv, I uh, <laughs> didn't write a script. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I figured, you know, this movie basically had beats that they improvised within, and I figured maybe we'd do something similar here. Um, And uh, my movie, so uh, this movie, they mentioned Del Close a lot, and they seem to do it with a lot of, like, earnest reverence. Like, they think he's the greatest thing ever. Uh, And really, you know, Del Close sure did a lot for the art form, but he was also a notorious legendary uh, misogynist. Mm-hmm. And so uh, going along the, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to like put myself in Mike Birbiglia's shoes. If I'm Mike Birbiglia writing a sequel to don't think twice. And I love Del Close so much that I want to, you know, eat his jizz bones. Um, I'm going <laughs> to name, <laughs> I'm going to name my, uh, my sequel. Uh, as something that maybe Del Close would have named a movie, which is uh, women shouldn't be allowed to vote. That, <laughs> <laughs> you forgot the jizz bones too. Right, right, right. <laughs> jizz bones too. The legend of Del Close's gold. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Anyways, Del Close hates women. Uh, I was put thinking about like uh, you know maybe a movie a sequel would come out today. 
or, or around this time. So let's say five years has passed since the last movie. And I, uh, I wrote down a quick breakdown here. This is basically where I think our characters are at, at that five-year mark. Jack, uh, Keegan-Michael Key, is no longer really doing uh, Weekend Live. Okay, he's, he's had his run on there. And now he's uh, doing movies. Maybe as like supporting role in, in you know, comedy movies and that kind of thing. And uh, doing, you know, late night talk show appearances, that kind of thing. Uh, Samantha, who uh, was the girlfriend, Jillian Jacobs, uh, at the end of the first movie, she's running a theater, right? Her and, and uh, Chris Gethard Bill are like working together to run a theater with like Bill's uh, like inheritance, I think. He bought a theater mm-hmm. and the two of them are, are like going to go into work together and start this theater. So in my mind, that's what they're doing. They're working together as old friends, starting this theater up. They're doing shows. They're successful. They're, they've got, you know, a lot of people coming in all the time. It's a hot spot for all the young comedians in town. Um, I think that Bill um, has found a wife and uh, has a, a new baby. And they're doing that. And I, But I think that uh, one thing that I thought about Samantha uh, in the first movie there, they show her a lot ha- struggling with Jack always going to work. So in my mind, she could never be with somebody who has a regular day job. Mm-hmm. She, could, she couldn't handle that person always leaving and having a different schedule and being away. Um, so in my mind, that's where she's at here. I put her in a relationship with another non-comedy person who has that relationship. So she's just struggling the whole time to to maintain that relationship. And maybe by the end of this, she realizes it's her own fault that, uh, that those relationships aren't working out. That it's something, it's something within her that she needs to look at and she should be looking for different, different qualities in her partners. Um, miles, who is the, uh, 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 Oh God, I forgot his name already. Berbiglia. Yeah. He's the, he's the Berbiglia character. And in, in Don't Think Twice, if you don't know improv and the stereotypes of people that do improv, he is all of the worst ones together. <laughs> he is the, the gross teacher that is constantly sleeping with his students, constantly oh. reminiscing and telling people about all the, you know, how close he was to being on Weekend Live and how popular he was and is. And at the same time, living in a group home with the other people that are on his comedy team in a, you know, the, the, the one woman in the movie calls it a dorm room. And that's basically what it is. Yeah. Oh my God. That woman was so right when she was like, absolutely not, (laughs) you know? And, um, Oh, I just wanted to say with him, he's, uh, uh, like he's very unapologetic too about it. Like this is around the me too movement and like the me too, me too movement had its uh, ripple effect in the improv community for sure. So it's, it's interesting that like he chose this character and like that all that shit went down. Yeah. It's also like he lives in a door. It's almost like it's also shorthand for Mike Barbiglia saying like this type of character never left a certain point in his life. Right. He exactly never right. left his college improv years and maybe he never will, 
but like because it's so ingrained in his personality that he's just stuck in mm-hmm, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of that's the I think that's a theme of that people are stuck. Yeah. And I want them to get out of that on their own, not because outside forces are not forcing because them the to. theater is closing down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, one other thing, too, about Miles real quick in that first movie is he's such a creep. This woman yeah. comes to visit from out of town. They know each other from high school. She happens to be in town. Come see my show. She goes and sees the show. That's normal enough. Oh, he hits on her, takes her back to his place. She's like, no, that's not happening. Fair enough. Great. But then later on, they're hanging out and like their relationship is starting to bud. And he mentions something about like a memory that he has from high school, which if he's 35, 36, that's 20 years ago. And he still remembers very vividly where she sat and what she did and what the teacher reacted to it and all that kind of stuff. Oh my God. And the woman picks up on it and she's like, what did you just say? Like, <laughs> she yeah. notices that red flag and then he sort of plays it off and she forgives it, which she should not have. Um, but because of that, uh, their relationship is able to bloom and he's willing to, you know, raise raise her her baby mm-hmm. um and she, he has a happy ending too. after all that he has a happy ending and i'm mad about it but if i'm mike Birbiglia writing this movie uh maybe i don't see that maybe i don't have a high opinion of mike Birbiglia, but i don't see that and so uh to me in the sequel to don't think twice which is called uh <laughs> women shouldn't be allowed to vote uh <laughs> miles is uh has become the most popular governor in Illinois history. <laughs> everyone around him is encouraging him to run for president. Oh my God. Like, that's terrifying. In five years from having five that. years, <laughs> five years from living in that. Like, could you imagine the political ads? Like, he used to live in a New York dorm. Boom, boom. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) yes and we need another governor (laughs) 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 paid for by mike madigan (laughs) um the other characters aren't as important but you've got allison who is uh kate micucci she was doodling drawing the graphic novel and stuff and um i think in a realistic world uh she maybe gets a little bit of notoriety, makes a little bit of money off of that graphic novel. But I think realistically, she's probably like drawing greeting card covers or something like that. Selling small art on Etsy or, you know, through TikTok and Instagram and that kind of stuff. Um, and then Lynn. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just funny that you say greeting cards because um, jo- uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt works at a greeting card place right. in San Francisco. So I'm like, oh, she's the next summer. Oh. 500 days of Allison. Oh yeah. Um, he, he can be in it and he can be like that. Like, don't think twice, like the weird cameos that they just have. Mm-hmm. Like Ben Stiller. Yeah. Oh, the Pete Holmes cameo was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was the funniest part of the movie. And. Uh, a cameo from uh, 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 Steve Waltine, who, if nobody knows who that is, uh, he means something to me for no other reason than he was one of the, he was a member of the first Second City main stage cast I ever saw. Mm. Oh, damn. So, 
those people you always at least I like I, I know who was on that initial cast. You what know was what I mean? he doing in the movie? He was uh, an existing member of Weekend Live that they saw at the bar and went to go say hi to. Okay, okay, got it. Um, anyways, so the other character in the group, Lindsay, uh, is the one who was also a shitty stereotype, but bad character that I didn't like, who, who uh, was like an out of work person who was living with their parents, smoking pot 24 seven and, uh, and, and then just still doing comedy and acting like they had all the struggles in the world. And not to say that they don't have their own struggles, but you, you can't compare somebody who's able to do that kind of thing with somebody who needs to put food on their table and is really struggling. Um, mm-hmm. And that reminds me, these were also some of the biggest apartments that I've seen in New York City. Like, <laughs> like for the for the class that they are, like yeah. I have never seen like that. When they had the huge party, I'm like, oh my god, how big yeah. is this house yeah. in New York City? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's one of those weird things again, like that weird not propaganda type thing where it's like sort of like look at this fucking comedy money that they're right bringing. yeah you they're can able have to have this luxurious second life and it's funny too because they show them at day jobs like yeah. selling selling samples at the grocery store which is like also that sort of that sort of like mike berbiglia writing thing where i'm like oh is this also like a dip? like that would be also interesting like Oh man, like this improv is like this second life from their really mundane, like, like what, what I would probably be doing now. It should be like mm-hmm. working customer service and then like, make, you're like, make some you're, money. Yeah. You're making money. And then at the same time, you're looking around the world, seeing characters that you can make, but you also know that deep down inside, yeah, I'm working this shitty nine to five or whatever, but I get to go and, Go with my friends and we get mm-hmm. to fucking teach people and do comedy. Like that was also one of the things that I think drew drew me in when I was uh when I w- watched it for the first time when I was younger was like this feeling of oh comedy is like living a second super cool life. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And uh, yeah, first watching it five years ago, same same thought of like yeah, that's it felt they felt more real because you got to see them have day jobs. But watching it now, it just feels like a thing because the movie's you know only eighty minutes, and they got they got to flesh it out. And hey, what's a what's a quick, cheap character thing we can build? Oh, ah, he works so, at the grocery store. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, anyways, Lindsay, uh, at the end of the Don't Think Twice, she gets a writing job on Weekend Live. <sighs> so in my mind, five years later, she's either still there. Or she's writing for a late night talk show like Kimmel or Corden or whatever. And maybe she lives in L.A. now. Uh, And so to me, the sequel movie is basically first little bit. We check in with everybody. We establish where they're at. See, see what's going on in their lives. And the whole crux of the movie is them uh, coming together for a reunion show. And and uh, uh, dealing with. Jack's stardom, Miles's stardom, you know, that kind of stuff and how that impacts their relationships to this day. Have they truly reconciled or not? All that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know how it ends. It probably just sort of ends with a 
you know, eight months later leap and then <laughs> and they hate each other again. They do an improv scene, but they don't leave each they don't leave one yeah. person stranded this time. Exactly. <laughs> Um, Miles has another. He has a, he has a child <laughs> illegitimately, uh-huh. so now he has to raise another kid. <laughs> exactly. As secret he becomes again. secret family, <laughs> as uh, he becomes president of the United States, and he's more hated than Trump. Exactly. I see. No, he'd I see be more loved. He'd be more loved. Uh, oh, you think he'd be the most popular president of all time? Remember, well, Mike is writing this script. Yeah. 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 Everything works out for him. So that was um, that's my general pitch for for Don't Think Twice Two. I didn't I didn't write a script for it because I didn't think it necessarily needed one. I think I think the general concept is enough. Um, and I, I was figuring like if we wanted to improvise, but I'm going to be honest with you guys, I don't really feel like improvising this, any of these <laughs> yep. scenes. Uh, I like talking about it more than I do improvise. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, with that, any, 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 uh, any thoughts, anything you guys would like to add or see, um, based on, based on those descriptions? I, I would like to see, um, I would like to see Bill thrive in this movie. Like, you know, either, you know, he, he comes back from having worked in the city and I, you know, I started out in Philly. So I, I knew some people who, who taught me things that were, you know, coming back from New York or L.A. or Chicago um, and moving back home. And I think that there's there's a lot of merit in that. And I think that, you know, especially for for people that don't. And I, I know this is like talking out both sides of my mouth since we live in Chicago. Um, but, you know, that that community based improv is important and it's damn important for the survival of improv. Like we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago. We were like it improv is not as popular as it was when me and you, Chris moved mm-hmm. out here, you know, it's, and, and then that causes me to think that it's, it's on like life support in a way, um, especially with this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think guess we'll see they, what it, what it, yeah. what things look like when the, the world weird, reopens, you know? the weirdest. No, continue. No, I just wanted to say I like I I like the idea of Bill in this movie to champion like art is important everywhere, mm-hmm. not just big metropolitan cities. Right, and like I think that was the weirdest thing for me is like me me growing older and like really loving theater and really loving comedy, and then seeing like ah damn this shit's changing. It's fucking weird. Like yeah, mm-hmm. like <laughs> like that one the one annoyance internship day i had before covid and everything <laughs> happened how like fucking empty it kind of was in retrospect and then yeah like i remember that day because it was the day before the big analysis of everything shutting down was like i i, I um i was taking out the trash without gloves which is fucking crazy now like <laughs> thinking about it yeah um, yeah um and then i'm getting ready to you know <sighs> finish up the hour and then my mom's like hey can you 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 should come home early. Ask your but I ask you is we come home early. I was like, I was like, and I did, and I came home, and my mom's like, yeah, I understand this this stuff's gonna get heavy because 
uh, all of the schools in Chicago are just closing down. So you, I just told you to come home like right now. And like thinking about that, like how empty that place was, how fucking like weird it was as soon as like coronavirus started to get more popular, not popular, but more in the mainstream, how many people started being like wary, you know, some people laughing about it. Uh, I still remember we had like the the virus, which was like a shot of Corona and a beer or something. Oh, right. And, yeah. Oh, and uh, it happened on St. Patrick's Day weekend, which yeah. is which is like Chicago's like one of their biggest weekends. So everybody it's, had also had the mentality of we don't fucking care about COVID. The COVID's not gonna get in the way of our St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. You know, but then, Day. then they ended up canceling it. St. Patrick's Day is the only time the Green Rivers make sense. <laughs> 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 toxic pollution we're oh. just celebrating our irish heritage <laughs> yeah what a specific time that was and uh i think we're at another juncture another time right now get philosophical here for a second i guess but like uh the see, seeing the 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 world reopen little by little and see comedy and theater that type of art come back little by little. I am so glad that more people are doing stuff like this podcast or like streaming shows or, or that kind of thing so that they can get all their shitty pandemic COVID related jokes out of the way. <laughs> so that when we see them in person on stage, we don't have to deal with that shit. <laughs> fucking talk about no Yo. more Donald Trump jokes, no more COVID jokes. So be real fucking quiet in the annoying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to hear like, audience, yeah. audience members. This is a two way street. Okay. It's like, don't yell it out at the show if you don't want to see it. Yeah. Because we sure as hell don't want to do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I hated doing it during Second City, like doing any political jokes. Like, fuck, do I really got to? do we really got to do this? And we didn't, we went the whole show without making like really any real big political jokes. Well, there you go. But like an achievement in 2019. Um, yeah. uh, well, they want you to do political jokes because they know yeah, that's they their bread that and butter. Satire, yeah. yeah. Um, um, anyways, that was, that was my version of don't think twice. Uh, a little, uh, you know, a little, a little, um, uh, sarcastic, but also a little like trying to be earnestly. How would it really be? Mm -hmm. uh, Josh, I am so curious. What do you have for us, buddy? Well, I have. OK, so this went through multiple revisions. Uh, this is like the third revision and it's called Yes. And and okay. <laughs> originally what it was going to be was a sequel, like the band gets back together type thing. Mm -hmm. But I never resonated with any of the characters as a whole. So I'm like, I don't really, really want to try to get back together story yeah. i made yeah. i made mike burbiglia's character like uh i was at the annoyance I, I forget his name but i was talking to one of the teachers and like one of the jokes was like you couldn't talk to improv about him or else he'd just find a way to leave <laughs> so i wanted to make mike burbiglia's character like a character who's fucking done with improv he's, he's had a family don't talk to him about improv he doesn't want to come um yes um but yes, and is uh, more of a focus on, I think, which is very uh, a not touched about an aspect that I think could have been delved on a little bit. And I, I wish I could have fleshed it out a little bit more because I just came up with this idea like the day uh, yesterday. And I was like, 
what if we wrote a story about like Jack being an African American improv person getting big and then like the life that leads and how that fucking changes him and how the fast-paced life of improv and comedy can make you fucking just lose your mind especially when you are black in a theater where it is you sometimes do have to struggle harder and they're going to like recycle you faster unless you're like constantly funny um Wow, that sounds really. I can't wait to see yeah. this. Yeah, it's 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 the 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 pitch is greater than the script. <laughs> <laughs> Don't um, tell yourself short. I believe in you. All right, um, I'll be Jack. Uh, let's see, uh, Christopher, you can be exec one. Okay, and uh, and let's see, Mister Grande. Uh, you can be uh, Lindsay and Jeremy. Okay. Um, cool. All right. So interior, Jack's house. Uh, Jack and Lindsay enter tired from the stressful work of comedy. So how do you think work went? Cut to interior late night live. Jack is performing on uh, late night live as the ticket taker. And while on camera, he seems happy. We have the camera focus on his face and we see it struggling to keep the facade of joviality and the audience is not happy about it either. And then it cuts to like later in the day. And, uh, Jack is talking to an exec. We just want to revamp your style. So for now, we might just bring you back for a bit, you know, let Tevin take the reins, get some younger talent. Cut to, uh, we see Tevin, another African-American younger, killing it. Posters, uh, pictures of him just sort of like taking the limelight a little bit more. What? No. I'm like 30 years old. I'm still paying off student loans. Financially, I'm still a millennial. Which reminds me, have we talked about the retirement plan? <laughs> it's here in Jack's house. Jack is on the phone with Jeremy, his friend from Chicago. I just feel like iced out, you know? I mean, I ain't surprised. Yeah? Think about it. Every couple years, they get another black guy into the studio, and then they fight for dominance. That's crazy. Nah. Hollywood only really picks one comedian like us. Before you, it was Kevin Hart. And then it was Eddie Murphy. And then, oh, sorry. And if it ain't you, then it'll be him. Think about it. You know about Jay Farrow. Who? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I bet Keegan got him buried six deep somewhere, six feet deep somewhere in the same place they put the other members of the Lonely Island. You think it's getting more and more frustrated and obsessed with his work. Uh, Going on a run in New York, he's just trying to. Uh, find himself and he cuts to him going I feel like I'm strung out we see him run faster trying to burn his anger I just need to get back to where it started and the title card It's I, I try to write it like more like an actual uh, I try to write it more like an actual uh, trailer mm-hmm. because I felt like every time I wrote a scene or a script it started just getting longer because I was like, oh, fuck, am I just going to write a scene from this movie? But I tried to write it like a sort of 
what a what a movie would trailer would be. I don't know. No, I I think I think that's an effective uh, start to a trailer. Like you you get the sense of what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, all these scenes. You did a great job of like establishing a baseline so that yes, all these scenes could be fleshed out so much more, and we can see more of the detail in as you as you pitched it uh how the fast-paced world is is changing him and affecting him and the struggle of uh what what does the struggle look like of being you know one of a handful of minorities and feeling sort of tokenized mm-hmm. especially in such a high you know highly visible thing like SNL um yeah that's a really interesting take on it and, and not just SNL, like diversity has been a problem in improv for a long time. Like uh, I, 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 I've, I've, I've heard and given the nickname, like improv is like the hockey of comedy because it's so whitewashed. And it's that way because this is some like stupid, I don't know. I think it's like you, 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 you see improv and there's like a lot of bits and shit. Right. And it's, uh, it's the group of people working together. Mm-hmm. And I just think that like when it comes to stardom, like it gets focused Right. And people go to stand up. So I think improv is this weird fucking thing that is like kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say lesser version of comedy, you know, and I just think that more people and particularly minorities and stand up shift towards that than come into improv. And I think that's also a huge problem because like. You know, improv improv theaters would just, you know, churn through all of these, you know, classes and get people to buy their classes. And that's the whole structure. And like for underdeveloped communities, you know, they don't have that opportunity. And (laughs) that's basically the big fucking problem with improv right now, amongst other things. Mm -hmm. Like coming from someone like me, I was like, hey, I love work. I I love interning at the annoyance. I love working there. But I'm also like fuck this is a good opportunity for me because that those classes are expensive i don't live close to chicago so compounding that with having the improv classes with this with the travel and the time so i'm like fuck i need to do this if not just for myself to get ingratiated into the community and understand what it's like but also free classes so that cuts down on my finances and a lot of people don't fucking have those opportunities and they don't yeah. have those uh, those great teachers or teachers at all. And so they have to bumble f- through their fucking way. And that's not, it's not fun for anyone. It's not fun for you. Yeah. yeah. Bumbling yeah. through fucking life and the getting swindled or not really knowing which way to go, which way is up, which way is down, you know? And I hope that more theaters take a turn to like have ways to help more people out. And I hope that's like where the revolution of improv is going to go, a revolution of theater and comedy and media in general. And we see it starting, but like there's always a cynical part of me that goes like, well, it's going to start. And then I fear that it's going to stop and it's just going to go back to the status quo because like it's like a it's like a Finn from Star Wars situation. Like we're going to start strong and then we're going to just reel it back over time to where it's like it's kind of different. But it's also just kind of the exact same shit you've been going through. Well, yeah. specifically with improv, I mean, theater in general has been struggling, right? Yeah. Uh, and 
improv is making most of its money through classes. Right. That's the business yeah. model is that that's how they make their money. They don't make their money by selling tickets to their shows. They make their money by um, offering classes. And um, that's going to have to shift yeah. uh, either further down that path or further down the other way or something. Because, you know, uh, for the longest time, performers haven't been getting paid to improvise. Mm-hmm. In a, and a big reason for that is because they don't make enough money. The theater doesn't make enough money on just ticket sales for the show. I've been so, yet to get paid for any. Imagine that is fucking. It's like very a, yeah. rare yeah. that mm-hmm. that improv performers get paid to perform. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm interested to see how things shift and change. Going forward, not just in Chicago, but all around the country, all around the world. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, and especially you know we we're you're talking a little earlier about uh, the experience of being a uh, minority person on a on like a predominantly white team and that kind of yeah. stuff, and there's a lot of pressure of yeah. you know uh, to be representative yeah. of an entire group of people. Just as an individual, because you happen to be the only one uh, on that group of people, yeah. you know what I mean? And like, that's not fair, and that's, that's not that's not true, and that and that's not the way that it works. You can't possibly represent an entire group of people as an individual. You can't I barely possibly. carry myself mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and and it also starts from the imp- improvisers going into a scene and going into classes with that mentality of like, yo, don't don't pimp somebody into something just because they're you know they're they're the only person of color in the room. Uh huh. They're the like, only person of color. They're the only, they're the only woman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And stop making her your mom and uh, shit like that. Yeah. No one I likes mean, that. It's weird as fuck. Yeah, don't start the scene. Fuck. Hey, honey, you know. But you know what? There's also that pressure, too, of, like, if you don't go along <laughs> with that kind of stuff, are you going to be blackballed? Yeah. yeah. Are you, are, are you they, just, yeah. you know? Yeah, are you going to be, like, given this, oh, he's not good to work with because he's not just going along. And I feel like sometimes it's a dangerous part of improv where they're just like, yeah, just go along with it. Just keep going, man. Yeah. And then and that, like, that starts, you know, I think yeah. that's that's. I don't want to say it starts at the top and I don't want to say it starts at the bottom. It starts everywhere at the same time. Yeah. We mm-hmm. all need to be better about fuck this. Just this whole, we started talking about a movie and here we are. Because honestly, who gives a shit about this movie? No, yeah. Like it's, 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 <laughs> it, it's what's come from it of us talking about it. And you know, it's it's yeah this is a lot different than any of our other podcasts yeah. uh, sorry if you tuned in and you didn't get all the yucks you wanted yeah. uh, this isn't my like clue yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. this is this is about philosophy of an industry what the <laughs> i didn't sign up for this we started thinking and then the ratings tanked. <laughs> yeah oh. so, so next week's gonna be loony and insane <laughs> Um. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I could talk more improv philosophy, but I I I feel like I'd be doing it a disservice at this point, or, or not even just improv, but like theater and like industry philosophy at this point, because I've been out of it, been out of the game for a year plus at this point. 
and we don't really know how things are going to look when they come back. We can do our best, but what what good is it going to do? What problems are we going to solve in the world by talking about it right now? I mean, uh, I mean, at least we're 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 trying to bring awareness to people through this of like fair. what we've experienced and um, how we want to see it different when it comes back. Like one of the best parts. I mean, they're okay. Sorry, I was going to start it that way, but like. <laughs> The silver lining of a pandemic is since a lot of us got to spend time by ourselves or in our houses isolated, like use it as self-reflection, you know, I don't, I don't know. I've had thoughts of like how I want to, you know, be seen or, you know, interact with people or I don't know, just how I want to improve my life now that I've had all this time, you know, off, you know? And in when I get back out there into the world, into comedy, you know, because of shit like this, I would, I, I, I hope, I hope that it'll uh, have a positive impact. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think that everyone should take more time to reflect on on each other and on the way that we've been treating each other and shit through th- through this 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 uh, whole scene because. Like I've started uh, going back to therapy, going to try and work on myself. And it's like, there's just a lot of shit where I'm like, man, I was kind of doing, I tried my best, but man, I'm doing some, I wasn't doing great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just need to work on myself more. And everyone, I feel like everyone can kind of get caught up in this cycle of like, oh, well, I'm isolated. Oh, I'm alone. Yeah, shit like that. And then, and then learn nothing. But I think that's my the, this that's one of the cruxes of my time during the pandemic because I realized like I got to learn how to be uh, better than I was, or at least work harder than I was, and try and figure out what I really want to do with myself and what I really like about myself and how do I want to increase that and not let the negative perceptions and shit. And uh, and and I hope that like the like art and theater and everything can do that in the same way that. Now that we've had time to sit down and analyze like we're doing now with theater and comedy and shit like that and go like, you know, oh, like, this is what we should really change. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good uh, that's a good outlook. And it's not too late. No, If, if you haven't started, you know, reflecting and considering the future and how how to make it better, uh, it's not too late. No, um, this was uh, so, anyways, this was an improv movie. <laughs> this is an improv movie. Let's get the fuck out of here, Josh. Yeah. What do you have going on? What do you want to pitch or plug or just tell people about? Uh, I'm just living my life. Uh, as I said, I'm working a quarter on mile at a time. On... Oh my god, <laughs> that's nine. Let's do it. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm you know, I write stuff in my spare time. I haven't really, I haven't really taken any time to go back to podcasting again. I've been just working on myself, doing auditions where I can, um, working on this podcast, you know, checking Twitter. Sometimes it's just more been a time of self-reflection for me. So if you want, follow me at, um, let me just check my Twitter handle. Um, capital J Joshua, capital R E capital W Wilson, uh, on Twitter. Um, Never follow me on Facebook. You're only going to get really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
And uh, yeah, other than that, I've just been trying to live my life. Maybe write some short sketches that I post on uh, on Spotify sometimes. But other than that, awesome. Uh, Steve, what do you got? Uh, I've been working on this thing this weekend. Um, so, uh, I, I don't think we talk all that much about it on this podcast, but, uh, we, uh, we love to play smash brothers and, <laughs> and I love to play smash brothers. Oh, we and don't talk about smash bros. Have you read the, how many scripts have we done? We, that are just- <laughs> we had the, we had the one, you, the one thing script. And outside of that, I don't think anyway, uh, Mario bros. Uh, uh, oh, well, that's different because that's the whole thing. I'm just <laughs> like, saying. <laughs> that's the, that's the whole game universe. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, okay, so anyway, <laughs> surprise. Uh, so I, I, I thought of this bit of doing... Um, <clears throat> of doing like a, a old timey English uh, football commentator, like to, to commentate the matches. And I want to okay. do like bits in between and do like slow motion and shit. So I, uh, I plan on having that out pretty soon. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure if it'll come out before this podcast comes out, but uh, if it is, it will be, uh, I hope we can link it in the description. Nice. Uh, fantastic. I don't think I have anything. Uh, watch the circle on Netflix. It's the trashiest, <laughs> trashiest show, but I cannot get enough of it. Wait, what's uh, this? It's what's reality that? TV. It's a re- reality TV game show where they put people in isolation in little apartments, and the only contact they can have is with the other players of the game through a social media platform. So, like, no, right. Um, <laughs> but the thing is like, they're constantly, they have to like raid each other and vote each other out. Last one standing wins money. Huh. Um, and they, but the thing is like catfish can get involved cause there's no video, there's no voice. It's uh-huh. purely through text uh-huh. and, and pictures. Um, it's bad, but I, <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> never gets you through the pandemic. Yeah. Whatever yeah. gets you through this. I've been reading more actually. I've been. Uh, personally, I've been reading a lot more comic books now. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been reading more as well. Uh, it's good. Read a book. Give a hoot. Um, <laughs> win a win a pizza. Um, that's a uh, huge shout out. Real quick, I'm so uh, like off kilter because we just like we're so serious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're so for so long. Uh, we let's don't give a huge feeling. shout out to Miss Kira Redzinak, our resident artist who does all of our episode <laughs> art, kills it every week. I cannot wait to see what she comes up with for Don't Think Twice. I couldn't even <laughs> begin to imagine. Um, huge shout out to Josh, our hey. resident editor. He's here. <laughs> Thanks, <don't> Josh. <laughs> uh, exciting stuff on the pipeline. Stay tuned. Uh, check us out on Instagram, Facebook. I don't think we're on Twitter. Who knows? Um, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll have all our updates there about uh, upcoming shows and projects and that kind of thing. Um, with that, I think I better get going because uh, I just kidnapped a, a cute little kitten that this guy really loved and was using to make a calendar uh, where he put the kitten in different movies. And I kidnapped it. And I sure hope that they don't come looking for me and try to get that kitten back.
<laughs> oh well i'm sorry but i gotta run um i'm an aging comic and uh, i'm trying to reinvent my act but uh i accidentally well not accidentally but i accosted a audience member who was giving me shit at my show and now i have I had to be in jail for 30 days and and i had to complete 100 hours of community service and i'm literally just reading the description of the movie <laughs> the comedian <laughs> <laughs> with Robert De Niro. Oh, that was a really fucking uh, bad. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but I gotta go to. I, I gotta. Hold on. <laughs> I fucking jazz drums. <laughs> <laughs>